Hi, and welcome to the Human Side of Business podcast. I'm Angie Cabe, CEO and co-founder of Intuity Performance. I'm a performance coach, HR professional, whole person leadership facilitator, and your host. The Human Side of Business podcast is fueled by the genuine curiosity to understand how personal characteristics and skills can be leveraged to drive individual and team performance, tangible outcomes, and ultimately organizational success within business. Each podcast is devoted to sharing knowledge, expanding our learning edges, and exploring the trends in corporate culture towards growing the emotional intelligence of organizations. I'm so glad you're here. Hi there, this is Ange McCabe, CEO and co-founder of Intuity Performance, where our business is the success of your business. I'm a performance coach, HR professional, facilitator, and your host of the Elevate Business Podcast. The Elevate Business Podcast is a journey of discovery fueled by the curiosity to genuinely understand what makes people tick when it comes to their professional path, choices made, and the personal characteristics that drive performance, tangible outcomes, and ultimately success. The Elevate Business Podcast is here to promote the enormous contributions of small and medium-sized businesses around the world by exploring the actions that make a workplace successful, the trends in corporate culture towards growing the emotional intelligence of an organization, and how we build whole person performance from the ground up. Each podcast is devoted to sharing knowledge, growing our learning edges, and honoring our passions with a special guest who has elevated their business, overcome obstacles, and inspires others to do the same. So glad you're here. Hi, and a warm welcome to episode 20 of the Elevate Business Podcast. Both myself, Ange McCabe, and Scott Rust are your hosts. We have the pleasure of introducing you to Darren Fleming, founder and CEO of Real Strategy Advisors. Sharing over 18 years of expertise in the areas of workplace strategy and commercial real estate brokerage, Darren and his team are on a quest to bring happiness at work by developing organizational strategies that align with the company's dreams and then creating the perfect space design to promote their team's productivity and well-being. Welcome, Darren. Glad to be here. Thanks. Uh, We're glad as well. I'm going to stumble again. Um, so tell us a, a little bit about yourself, the your company, and a little bit about your journey too. Sure. Um, so I've been in commercial real estate for about 20 years. Um, and you know, from the very beginning, my role was always a sales role. And the way we evaluated ourselves as real estate brokers, commercial real estate brokers, was you know, what kind of a financial impact did we have with our clients? How much rent did we save them? How much free rent cash did we eke out of the landlords? Um, And over time, I realized that that's not even on the main radar screen of the senior executives. Um, You know, the CEO now is probably thinking more about how do I take this boat and steer it in the right direction? How do I make sure that I have the right people who are going to have the skills and the mindset to come alongside me, share my vision and, and sail into the, you know, the promised land. Um, and you starting to hear these people call themselves stewards of culture and commercial real estate didn't touch on any of that until about five or six years ago. And all of a sudden we realized that one of the ways to make a really cool space had to do with rearranging furniture or recognizing that, Hey, um, not all office workers are cut from the same sheet. Um, everybody has different needs, even if they have the same job description. Um, 
and I really got excited about workplace strategy and, and started to do some research and tried to get involved. Um, but I, I lacked a credential. So I actually sold my former company to go back to school to do an MBA to really try to find, well, how are management consultants interacting with companies and bringing that skill set into place, um, but yet still offer a full comprehensive service as a real estate consultant. And so this journey has been really fun because now, um, you know, we measure our um, success on what I call the happiness factor at the end, you know, how, how productive our employees, how, what's your attract retain ratio within, mm-hmm. within an organization? Um, you know, what's the average tenure? Uh, what is their, what do they say about your company to others? What do they say about their boss? Um, and what we found is that to the extent a company can understand and engage employees at a, at a individual level, um, they work harder, uh, they take pay cuts to stay because they love being there. Um, and so I think when people say great things to the outside, they refer your company to their friends, um, they take pay cuts to keep working for you, you can call them happy. And it's been the most exciting time of my career because um, I never used to get to talk to the C-suite um, because we were talking about things that didn't matter. So I'm really excited to share the message. And uh, you know, with all this pandemic stuff, the way people... Um, suddenly think about space and culture is really up for grabs. And we have been really well positioned because we've been one of the few voices out there talking about it, um, certainly in Ottawa, mm-hmm. and uh, business is booming. All right, that's great, Darren. I really, I really find it the int- uh, interesting, the transition kind of from the, the commercial real estate aspect, and then also mm-hmm. looking at more of the workplace strategy and the interplay between those two things and how sitting in one seat in the commercial real estate aspect, you know, you weren't, didn't have access, you weren't really talking to the C-suite and didn't really have an ability to identify, you know, what is their, their vision and how can you kind of come in and help align those two things? I, I had this experience and uh, I tell it a little bit differently, but imagine if you worked for a toilet paper company and you approach the CEO of IBM to say, hey, this toilet paper that I offer is going to change the way IBM does business. It's going to change the way people think about what it means to be an employee of IBM. Um, If you even get that far, the person's going to say, um, I don't even know who makes the decision to buy toilet paper in my company. I just know we need some. And if there isn't any, someone gets fired, right? You're selling a commodity that just doesn't, just doesn't register. And I realized that for, you know, about 16 years, I sold a commodity that didn't even make the management team. You know, the management team would say, hey, we're opening a new office and we need, we need to grow. And then somewhere down in the middle management, the you know, people procurement went out and got it. Yes. It's it's gotten more complex than that facilities people now think about the needs of the individual and mobile workforces. So, but the real estate brokers didn't really do anything except fill the order. So mm. uh, now I'm I'm leading executive um, workshops. We're doing individual interviews. We're, we're challenging some of these mindsets from people who grew up in what I call a human resource plentiful environment. You know, baby boomers or people mentored by baby boomers um, used, used to use language about paying the dues, climbing the ladder, you know, this idea of suffering until you get to get, you know, you've paid your dues enough that you can get to the, the good stuff. Um, we just can't do that anymore. And I think people forgot that. Uh, and COVID, so COVID has 
meant that they could start to apply these unilateral policies. Like everyone's going to work from home. They're going to work from home forever. But I think what we're starting to see is people are like, yeah, but I really don't like it. And if that's the way you're going to make me work, I may reconsider working for your job, for your company. So there's this really interesting transformation that's underway as the whole planet goes through this and it's taking longer than we thought. And the longer mm. we stay at home, the more likely it is that when we, whenever we go back to what comes next will be significantly mm. different than what it was before. Yeah, exactly. And you have a really interesting concept with regards to how the workplace environment complements culture. So can you tell us a little bit more specifically, like what role does workplace environment have to do with well-being and engagement in the workforce? So there's lots of research um, in leadership theory. Um, a lot of us uh, who are old school um, leadership students might have used sports analogies or military analogies like, hey, we're all in this together. we got to take this hill. But that's not the way most companies work. And if you've ever yelled at someone in your office and like, hey, get your heels together because we're all go-, like, it just doesn't work. No. Um, transformational leadership theory says that if I can engage with you at your level and show you how through your efforts as an individual, you, yes. Andrew, you, Scott, can help the whole company get to this spot then you're really excited and you're more likely to be motivated to come along. Well, if you follow that chain of thought, then, well, and you and Scott may have the same job description. Maybe you're both super programmers at this WIC company or you're hotshot lawyers. Um, But Scott, you know, you have kids one week and not the next. So if your boss said, okay, we want everybody in the office Tuesdays and Thursdays, because that's when, you know, work sharing, you're going to be in the Mm. office. Well, Mm you're screwed. Right. And so, but if I can start to understand, well, what's Scott trying to do? What's he all about? How do I create a work environment that suits him? Um, Then workplace is an outflow of that because if Scott's only going to be coming in uh, a certain amount of time this week, but next week it's going to be different. Well, then the way I seat Scott in the office, the way I spend money on technology to arm Scott with tools or software that can make him most productive where he is, this mm. idea of meeting the employee where they are, mm. then everything starts, it starts to make a little bit more sense. Mm. So in workplace, um, there's been a term that's been kicking around since the seventies actually called activity-based work. This idea that this is not, your desk is not the only place that you do work. You, you have the ability to kind of move around and pick and choose. Um, COVID's really lighting a fire under that again. It was already <laughs> happening, but it was being sabotaged by managers who would say, okay, like work from home's fine. Secretly, they would say to us, I'm not really sure if these people are working when they're home, but I recognize that this is just part of the deal. I've got to, you know, they do a Facebook. I don't know what they're doing with that either. So I guess I got to <laughs> let it go. Um, and they would say, look, sick days for your kids or snow days, that's one thing. But if you want to work from home, then clear it with your manager, fill out this form. It's very prescribed. So what's really happening now is this idea that, you know, office on demand um, and it's is transforming the way we think about physical space. Mm. So if you think about if I'm only coming into the office 25 or 50 percent less than I did before, then it's probably for specific functions that may be differently than I did before. If I do my heads down concentration work at home, then when I come in, I'm going to be collaborating with peers. But remember, you can't unilaterally expect that the same human population is going to be served by the same thing. So again, Tuesdays and Thursdays team meeting. Well, then, you know, and you're, you're in the office more often, 
but Scott's probably going to be remoting in on those days. So the meeting spaces are going to have to allow for how do we make Scott as the remote worker feel more included? So I think we're going to see more screens. I think meetings of the future are going to be hybrids of what we're doing right now versus physical Mm -hmm. space. And I don't think we're ever going back to 100% of the team in the office 100% of the time. It Mm -hmm. wasn't happening before. And now humans have a greater ability to do what we're doing right now. Um, We used to ask people, well, why don't you use video when you're doing remote calls? And people would say things like, well, I don't want to share my screen because I don't want them to see my email. Right. And we'd say, well, did you know you could only share one application? And maybe the IT guy would say yes. So in the last nine months, we've all learned how to use remote technology way more than Mm -hmm. we ever did before. And so did our boss. So it's, it's got a lot easier. Mm. Well, I think it's, it's, you bring up some really good points there, Darren. You could see myself and Andrew both nodding along, along when you're talking about, um, you know, meeting people where they're at. And I think that's one of the things um, in 2D performance that we, we really are a proponent of is understanding that, you know, each individual, no matter what their job description or background is, um, has different needs and being able to identify what those needs are. Um, and move and helping helping create an environment for them to be able to succeed or thrive and to be able to meet them uh, where they're at. And so I'm curious, almost taking a step back and more looking even uh, towards your journey um, and whether it be through the commercial real estate brokerage and then kind of combining that with the workplace strategy, what has been some of your biggest learnings kind of stepping into the role of CEO and creating an environment even just for your team to, mm-hmm. to thrive? Um. Hmm. I think um, the biggest journey I went on. So when, when I was uh, in my twenties, I was an infantry reservist um, and I commissioned, went to officers training and I used to really lean on sort of military style leadership, uh, which took me, you know, 18 years to learn that that's called transactional leadership. I don't lead you until you do something wrong. And then I correct you. Mm -hmm. Um, Military does that a lot. Um, I always believed that when it came to building my teams, um, there was an, there was, a, an analogy that I got from the military that I really liked that, a, an officer cannot predict who's going to walk in through the recruiting center, right? At the end of the day, um, it comes, the challenge of leadership is to find people, uh, and leverage the skills they have so that they can be productive. You know, if, if you use the analogy of taking a hill, you may have a corporal who's a bit of an idiot, um, but it's not his fault that he's an idiot. It's your job to find a way for him to be useful right. and, and feel connected and engaged with the team mm-hmm. um, as opposed to saying, well, hey, you just sit on the bench and, and don't don't add anything. That's a mm-hmm. failure of leadership. So I always took that. Um, but one of the things that's been really interesting is I always made, I always had this assumption that for people to really be effective working with me, they had to be full time. And um, when I started my next, this current company, Real Strategy, um, we were really small at the beginning and I just, I couldn't afford to have as many full-time people as I want. So I, I really let myself open to be, you know, what, what would part-time look like in just about every role? Um, and I've been really surprised to find that people who are only with me two, three days a week um, can be as committed as they are and as effective as they are. And I think what we're going to see you know, continuing to happen is this idea of a full-time job um, as we are, you know, 
primarily remote or significantly more remote than we used to be might start to change a little bit. You know, um, is it wrong for someone who for lifestyle or income choices wants to work more or less with one, two or three organizations and build a lifestyle that suits their individual needs and desires? I think it was already happening. You had graphic design companies pull freelancers in who are, you know, doing stuff on the beach in Rio somewhere. Um, knowledge-based work is going to work, start to work the same. Um, and people will meet their social requirements some, some way. Um, for my own team, I like to use real strategy as a test bed for this kind of stuff. Um, I think as a business, what's really changed for me as a service provider is as I become a business owner, I can relate to the organizations uh, with, you know, HR issues, banking issues, affordability, like, hey, that's great, Darren, that we should transform our workplace. How the hell are we going to pay for it? You know, or, you know, or, or challenging them to say, well, what happens if you don't pay for it? You know, what's mm. the cost of alienating your staff or underserving their staff? You know, what, you know, how well does your team work when your best and brightest are getting picked off by your competitors because your space is not so great? Um, and it's, you know, I, after hearing, I think it was the New Zealand prime minister talk about a four day work week, you know, in the middle of COVID, well, you know, the, that big lockdown, I think that was around June, she said it. Um, I was having, you know, minor depression issues being locked in my office all the time. And I'm like, Hey, this sounds pretty cool. What if we tried it? So let's try it for the summer. And I don't think we're ever going to go back. Um, I've kind of stopped tracking vacation days. Um, people who need to get their work done um, with respect to coming into the office. It's like, you know, if you feel safe and, you know, I think there has to be this connection, the social contract between the employer and the employee that says, okay, are we mitigating risk sufficient enough that we can get work done? Uh, the employer and the employee feel safe without potentially jeopardizing our ability to, you know, operational continue, continuity. Can, you know, if everybody gets sick and we all have to go home, that's pretty bad, but mm how likely is that to happen given the safeguards we're taking? So um, my team is made up of, I hesitate to call them misfits, uh, but we're all, <laughs> we all came from some pretty <laughs> weird places um, without direct paths to where we are. My, uh, my controller is a sommelier. Um, my, uh, sales guy, my top sales guy is 22 uh, and did part-time for me. And actually did a semester from Switzerland when he was finishing his degree and was still doing some calls. Um, it's, it's just a really mixed bag, but I think we're stronger for it because we're all working to our strengths and everybody's got a, feels like they have a full life and can hit pause when they need to hit pause. It's actually built into the way we, you know, the way we work. Mm. Hmm. There's, there's a lot in there to unpack. I feel like I should have been taking notes here. Uh, I really enjoy uh, many aspects in the sense of how you've quickly been able to pivot, not just as a company, but for, as a person, as a CEO, as a leader in the sense of, you know, drawing on that theory and putting into application and then being able to see the productivity and things still being okay, even if we're not counting vacation days and the four-day work week, like oftentimes from a North American scope or an HR scope around that, that's only a dream to us because we're still kind of in that grind and, you know, who can wear that badge of, of more overtime type thing. So I find it really interesting to, to digest all of those facts, Darren, and it, it makes me a little bit curious, how has your mindset changed in the sense of 
from a leadership perspective, letting go of that, um, I guess, physical or logistical scope of your company and how it's producing and really putting in a lot of trust and vulnerability and ensuring that things are coming to fruition. Yeah, I think, um, I can't remember, there was there was a book that came out probably seven, eight years ago. I think it was called like the 15 hour, the 25 hour work week or something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, the story is this guy sell, sell uh, nutritional nutritional supplements online. One day took a 30 day vacation and sales went through the roof and he realized he was the bottleneck. Um, and by <laughs> empowering people to work uh, and taking himself out of the bottleneck, his company was better. So then he embarked on, well, how do I take myself out of the, out of the, the loop more? Um, so if you, my favorite term to say to any, or my favorite thing to say to any of my employees, whenever they ask me anything is trust your judgment, hmm. right? I'm not going to, you make it a safe environment for people to fail. Um, heck, even if it's pretty big dollars, you know, is it going to wreck my business? You know, there's certain things that they need to come to me too, but you, it's not really written down. People just know because we communicate, we, we have high trust. Um, I have to pay attention to what's going on, but frankly, the less I have to do, the more empowered they are. I think the more fulfilled they feel mm-hmm. it certainly keeps the learning curve going. Um, it's made it very hard to hire from exterior because senior people have been used to doing things certain ways and don't necessarily want to come into this colloquial team environment where you have to be a little bit more open and you can't just keep everything all locked up and me, me, me. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's a decision I've made. Um, but I trust my people. I hire good people. Uh, I pay them as much as I can. Um, and it's not as much as they might get somewhere else, but you know, uh, in many cases it is. And I think as we continue to grow, cause we only, I guess we're about two years old. I incorporated in 2017, uh, halfway through my MBA, um, kind of hit the ground running in 2018, selling the wrong thing, thinking I was just going to sell consulting and finding out that a lot of my clients didn't have budget for that. So I ended up going back to brokerage, but incorporating, uh, consulting, and then even realizing that having consulting as a standalone service was a barrier procurement wise for many companies to actually benefit from it. So we said, well, what if we just gave it away? What if we made it part and parcel? And we insist on having the executive access to actually be able to do brokerage well. And the marketplace said, Hey, I really like that. So we Hmm. keep winning and winning stuff and it's getting a little daunting. Um, So I'm trying to train new people, but um, you know, it's, it's been a really nice journey. I, I, I feel I'm in a good place. Uh, with a product that people need um, that's based on caring and people as opposed to how many dollars can I save you? Because frankly, nobody cares. They just Mm -hmm. don't care. Mm -hmm. So there's one thing that came up for me there, Darren, and when you're talking about really creating a safe space and kind of this challenge of bringing in people that have, I would call them old habits working at another organization, another company, and facing challenges with incorporating them in kind of this new mindset and new way of working. So what has been some of the challenges in growing your organization or finding other people to kind of onboard onto your Sure. Um, the biggest one has been salespeople. You know, people who have grown up in commercial real estate know that it's um, traditionally been super cutthroat. Your biggest competition was your own empl- your own te- team members. Yep. So it'd be very typical for in a commercial real estate brokerage that nobody has a shared database 
they don't even talk. When I first started 20 years ago, uh, we'd have these sales meetings where you prospect names weren't even mentioned because you didn't trust that your colleagues wouldn't go and call them. So it'd be like, I'm working with a company who's looking for space in the West end. It's like, give me, but yet the companies indoctrinated us to think that was normal. Right. Right. And that they created this understanding or this shared belief system that um, this was a natural way for humans to behave towards each other within a company environment so that we were all sharp and would be ready to make money. Um, and I challenge that tremendously. Um, I think uh, it's soul sucking. Uh, it uh, caused tremendous amounts of stress. And the biggest p- reason people left was through internal competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never lost someone to the competition before ever mm-hmm. uh, in, in this company or the one I had before. I definitely found people who uh, weren't a good fit, who didn't, who realized they, they didn't like sales, but trying to bring someone in who's got their own database, who doesn't play well with others and bring them into a, uh, an environment where everything's open. We don't have locked file cabinets. Um, the CRM is wide open. You can't make private notes in there is not for most people. Or they come in and they say, well, I want you to pay me a lot of big bucks um, with no with no performance guarantees. I'm like, well, guys, look, if we're going to do this together, we're going to go through this journey together, then we've all got to benefit and we've all got to take some risks together. Um, on the middle management side, the hardest thing has been that my sales cycle is really long. So I get people who want to come in who say they're entrepreneurial and say they want to be part of a team. But then when it comes down to it, they're like, except (laughs) what about me? And so let's deal with me. And if I get the me part done, well then yeah, team is great. Um, And it really calls into question when they say, well, I hate my job. My boss is a jerk. Uh, I've had a, a super like unbelievable lady come in who would just be a superstar and said, you know, I'm dealing with harassment issues. And I'm like, Okay, so when do you start? Well, what about me and this big salary that I want? I'm like, oh, well, here's how we're going to get there. Let's let's work together. We can make this happen. Well, maybe their situation wasn't as bad as they described. Mm. If they don't see the way to come forward, but um, I find from growing within, I get more loyalty. Um, I love spending money on training. I I don't. I think one of the things a lot of managers forget is they someone's really good at this role and they just want them to stay there and, and they'll actually make it hard for those people to rise up. And so guess what? They leave right at the first chance they get, this is back to the human resource scarce environment. Um, The best thing that could happen for that person is to get a promotion and leave. That's an amazing thing for them to go on their journey. And I think it's something that I feel really good about watching the people I brought into commercial real estate, go on and be really successful and where they choose to go. The challenge for me as a leadership, as a leader is how does, how do I keep that person engaged and occupied within my company? Mm -hmm. So if you don't think about that from day one and be able to talk about the path, you know, we're only uh, eight full-time people. We're going to grow. We may even franchise at some point, but you know, how do I keep my superstar 22 year old engaged? What's his path? How do I take an admin and show him or her where they can grow um, and what the opportunities are and shove the opportunities at them? Hey, you want to make more money? Here's how you can make more money. I think that's been part of the fun. That's phenomenal. And for me, the way that I uh, relate to a lot of things that you're saying, Darren, it, it streams around or walks around, tiptoes around, whichever way you want to put it with regards to performance. 
So we like to ask the question, what does performance specifically mean to you? Um, we have deliverables. We have, um, you know, whether it be for the properties we manage or the, the office tenants that we're representing, um, they have expectations and they need to be met. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to be managed, but they need to be met, you know? And so part of uh, managing a client's expectations is to be reasonable about what you can do, how long, you, how long it's going to take to get it done and giving them a sense of how do they know when you get there? Right. As long as all that happens, I don't care. You know? <laughs> so um, someone said to me once, uh, if the client has to call to ask what the status is, it means we haven't been communicating with them. So right. I kind of monitor, you know, how, what are we doing? Uh, we do meet frequently to go over our, our funnel and to all the projects we're managing and where they are. Um, I realized long ago that a lot of the chaos that the admins were experiencing were because salesperson Bob would know that they promised a deliverable to the client in three days, which was tons of time, but didn't tell the admin pool until the day before. And now there's a scramble. Okay. Um, and so to the extent that we could have meetings where we're pulling that information out of Bob and getting it, um, getting it into the admins in a timely fashion, then not only was the expectations being met, we could actually do better. We could start to, to, to improve the quality of the outputs. Um, and so then that took me down this journey of, well, what if I deconstruct the role of what this lone wolf real estate broker is into the various component parts? Uh, you've got to create contracts, you've got to do negotiations, you've got to show, you know, be a researcher and show what's available in the marketplace. You've got to be a consultant. And well, what if we trained the admins in as many of those roles as possible, did cross-training such that they could at least prep stuff or move the ball 75% of the way um, and then not make an expectation that the salespeople will do the things you really wish as a manager they would like, put notes in the database or fill out the fields that you really wish they do or submit (laughs) their sales reports. I just accept that they won't, that great salespeople have better things to do than fill out reports. So at our sales meetings, they just talk and the admins take notes and then the admins do the inputs and we say, well, so what's coming down the pipe? Well, we're going to be doing this for them soon. Are we going to need the following deliverables? Yeah, we probably will. Should we start prepping those? Yeah, let's do that. Right. And it just makes it so much easier to, to build templates um, and I think that's one of the other secrets too. I'm a, I'm very much a systems and process guy. Um, my entire business has com- been completely templated so that when you come up with a new innovation, you're not doing what so many people do is they go back to the last project that was like that one. And maybe the template was developed two or three years ago. Um, but they didn't need three, you know, two parts of it when they did this last job. So by going back to the most recent project, they lost those first two pieces. Mm-hmm. And now, now there's, there's no, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's no way to improve as an organization. So we have, uh, when we take a new client, there's a whole bunch of preloaded folders with all our templates in them. Anytime we say, hey, we should fix that. Well, we fix it in those preloaded folders. So right. every time we make an improvement, it's going through every single client. And we always go back to the template. And if the template's not working, well, then you fix the template. So this idea of spending time up front to make things go faster later has been a philosophy of mine for a long time that makes it so much easier to cross-train and onboard because everybody knows where to find stuff. It's you agree on where they put it. And to me, that comes from yeah. the army. You know, they they would 
we had all these little pouches and they're like, well, the ammo goes in this one, the band-aids go in that one. So if somebody gets shot in the dark, you know where to go get it. That Mm -hmm. just makes sense. And that mentality transfers to any business uh, when you start building this stuff. It's like, well, what if I need to find it because you got sick um, or you quit? And I don't know, I'm rambling. (laughs) It's fantastic. There's a lot in there in the sense that from a leadership perspective, you give high levels of autonomy to your team members. And for you, you're not, you're not kind of counting pencils and erasers. You're looking at, are the deliverables being met? You know, are the objectives that we agreed upon moving forward in some form? And if not, let's talk about it. And by the way, let's talk a lot. And I really enjoy the approach that you've taken in breaking down jobs. Because oftentimes from a management perspective uh, or leadership, has been taught to, you know, kind of the carrot and the stick or, you know, train on the weaknesses. And it's only been the past five or 10 years that we're looking at strengths building. And it seems like organically and with thought that you've put that into play. So let's look at that person's strengths and really capitalize on them. So A, we can engage them. B, we can keep them here. And C, we're not constantly having that battle conversation of, can you do better in this area, please? And thank you. Um, So that's really appreciated. And we ask all of our participants at the end of this, what are three words of inspiration that you would want the world to hear? Three words. (laughs) Invest in people. Fantastic. I think we're always impressed when uh, somebody actually comes up with three words. (laughs) Yes. It's a hard one. I'm, I'm quoting a guy I used to work for, uh, a big real estate developer out of Montreal. He said, um, machines depreciate, people appreciate, invest in people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this idea of, you know, I made, this, I made these assumptions that if I hired young people that they w- who had university degrees, they knew how to write, they knew how, they were good with technology, they knew how to use spreadsheets well. And then probably about a decade ago, I had a guy who should have been a superstar say to me, we were, do, we were doing something. We had a financial template and I said, okay, well, we'll just, we need to put a weighted average in there. So just go to take the cells and do that. He's like, well, how would you do that? So I showed him the formula and he said, well, hang on a second. You put an equal sign in front of the formula. <laughs> well, who, whose fault is it that I don't know that? Right. It's not his fault that his employer didn't check to know that he knew how to use Excel before mm-hmm. I hired him. Yeah. That's the make use of corporal bloggins who came in from the recruiting center. And then I turned to my admin and who's, who was a superstar. I said, have you ever had formal Excel training? And she said, no. And I'm like, okay, so let's do some remedial Excel training. And here's the help files that Microsoft has take the courses. Here's some, let's come up with a curriculum and build the capacity because if you don't know how to do it, I have to do it. And so, you know, that was something that it really surprised me that, you know, we teach people critical thinking in in school, but we don't necessarily teach them applied skills. And managers assume that young people coming in are super high tech skilled. I've actually observed that uh, technophiles and their ability to use technology has gone down. And I think it has to do that. I'm 45. When I started using computers, they broke a lot. And we actually, (laughs) the geekier ones of us would actually peel off the covers and like pull parts out and put parts in. So I have a fundamental understanding of what's going on inside the box. Um, 
that millennials who are now in their thirties um, have, well, you guys, um, your stuff just works, <laughs> right? You don't necessarily know why it works, but it does. You, mm. You're you're a good user, but when things start to go wrong, it's like, well, what do you mean my my iPad doesn't work? Mm. My laptop doesn't work. I had a guy say, the superstar sales guy. What do you mean you have to do like? Um, you know, I always I always quit cancel whenever it says it wants to do those updates or when it wants to clean up my files. I I never do those. I'm like, that's why it doesn't work. Oh. <laughs> So, um, but again, you know, you can either just send it, you know, abdicate responsibility, um, mm. think IT is going to do everything or you train your people, you coach them. And um, yeah. That's a fantastic end. And we want to thank you so much for your time today, Darren, uh, from Intuity Performance and for our subscribers. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Yes. And for all of our subscribers who would like to learn a little bit more about Darren and his business, we're going to provide a link uh, to his company profile page on the Elevate Business Podcast title page. Take good care. Thank you very much for all of our subscribers to tuning in into another great episode of the Elevate Business uh, Podcast. Take good care. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Business Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the program. You can subscribe to future podcasts at intuityperformance.com, where you can also sign up for webinars and learn more about professional coaching and our facilitation solutions available to help fire up your whole person performance skills and drive actions for success. Until next time, stay true to you and take care of each other. We are all better together. Thanks for listening to the Human Side of Business podcast. I'm glad you could join us. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to stay updated with our latest content, make sure to visit our website. The link can be found in the episode description where you can subscribe to the podcast, sign up for our newsletter and learn more about our whole person leadership services. Sounds interesting. Explore the whole person leadership cohort by Intuity Performance, a unique program that offers unparalleled support to managers on every step of their leadership journey. Our program features evidence-based assessments, workbooks, group coaching, and interactive learning experiences to help you level up your leadership skills. Reach out today to apply to one of our upcoming cohorts. Until next time, take care and stay curious.